everybody. Welcome to Booking It Podcast. I'm your host, Phoenix Swanson. This is our first episode, so let me give the rundown. Not like The Rock in the rundown. More like Sean William Scott in the rundown. Stifler running from all his problems. Basically, I don't give a fuck if anyone listens, but I do at the same time. It's more for me. See, I feel my time staring at screens, whether it be TVs, cell phones, computers... Is just taking over. The robots are taking over. It's just part of our DNA now. It's always in our pockets, always a part of us. The robots are our convenient friends. Makes life abundantly easier, but I'm sure the catch is coming soon. I mean, they're saying we'll have sex with robots in the near future. Which sounds cool in a Star Wars meets EDM kind of way. Doots, doots, doots. Oh dear, R2. I am feeling faded. Imagine C-3PO with all the candy bracelets and unwinding. C-3PO is kind of a stiff and kind of does need to unwind, but no. There is no amount of molly or ecstasy that'll get me to fuck a robot. I mean, I know I've got porn on my phone, but that's no one's business but me and the CIA, okay? But all that brings me to my point is that I need to read more. I feel as if my brain is melting into a Nickelodeon slime type of substance out of my skull. I read on my phone, yes, but a lot of it's just clickbait garbage. No sustenance. That's the other thing is movies, comedy, music, and a lot of my favorite ways of escapism has no mystery to it anymore. I can't enjoy a Tom Cruise movie because I know too much. I know Tom Cruise problems. I'm like, that's the fucker that jumped on Oprah's couch. Which is rude as fuck, by the way. I mean, I don't care how in love I am. I wouldn't, like, start jumping on my friend's furniture and shit and going like, I'm in love! I'm in love! Start breaking the armoire and shit. Going all Rick James on Eddie Murphy's furniture. Tom Cruise, you rude as hell. But anyway, that's my point in all this, is to trying to give myself a reason to read and uh i know that sounds really stupid as fuck but um i feel like it'll it'll work out so welcome to the first episode of booking it here we go so the first series of uh booking it episodes i want to do is um For the book, The Catcher in the Rye. I'll have to say a shout-out first uh, to my Aunt Isabel, who let me borrow this book, I think, years ago now, five years, and uh, which I feel uh, regret for not uh, returning it ever. I, I I did get into it quite a bit at first when I got it, but I never got around to finishing the book, and... See, I, like, I'm the type of person that just never can finish a damn thing, so uh, I appreciate her uh, letting me borrow that, and I have have yet to return to it. If uh, she was a librarian, I'd, uh, I'd have like some, some damn wazoo charges. If uh, Blockbuster had a thing called Bookbuster, I'd be deep in debt. They'd be chasing my ass more than the IRS. So anyway, shout out to you, Isabel, for letting me... Uh, have this for so long, and I'm going to finish it and get back to you pretty soon, hopefully. I guess the karma makes sense now to why I never got my DVDs back, Jacob. But hey, it's not your fault. 
Karma's trying to teach me a lesson, you bastard. So anyway, the catcher in the rye has a lot of interesting um, behind the scenes to it, so to say, and uh, weird history behind it. So um, out of the research I dug up, here's a few reasons as to why it was banned. So the uh, the catcher in the rye. By J.D. Salinger is number two on the Radcliffe Publishing Course's top 100 novels of the 20th century, but it is also one of the most frequently banned or censored books of the century. And as to why is um, right here, it says books, bans, and challenges. The first record of The Catcher in the Rye being banned was in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1960 after an 11th grade English teacher was fired for assigning the book to his class. Since then, more than 30 incidences have been recorded across the United States of the book being removed from schools and or classes. Motives for censoring this text are numerous. Some of the claims about the book include assertion that it's anti-white, blasphemous, centered around negative activity, deals with immoral issues and the occult, defamatory to God, the disabled, minorities, and women, Depicts alcohol abuse, premarital sex, and prostitution. Includes excessive violence and vulgar language. And is obscene. So, those are a bit of the few reasons there. This book sounds like a fun weekend in Vegas. Bring the family, bring the kids. So I guess what's interesting about this book is that, um... Despite the uh, backlash, it's um, it continued to grow more popular. It's like the you know, it's uh, it's like when the government told you not to smoke weed, you uh, made it more fun, made it more uh, interesting to do so. So you know, whenever you're told not to do something, you're gonna want to do it. So it just brought more interest to this book, just like uh, anything would when you're told not to. You're gonna rebel, you know, with a rebel yell. Like old Billy Idol. So, and, um, but yeah, the Holden Caulfield, the main character, has become an iconic symbol of teenage angst that has endured for more than 60 years. The book has sold more than 65 million copies. So, and there's also, it says, linked to assassination attempts. So while the main character, Holden Caulfield, calls himself a pacifist and attends to avoid physical confrontations, there have been at least three incidences in which the criminally insane have assassinated or attempted to assassinate high-profile pro people after identifying, after identifying with Holden. So for one, though, and the, probably the most biggable and notable one, is um, Mark David Chapman shot ex-Beatle John Lennon outside of his New York apartment and in full view of Mr. Lennon's wife, Yoko Ono. I mean, poor Yoko got all this grief. She might not be able to sing, but she shouldn't get this much shit for, for Lennon's death or for anything, you know. It's old Courtney Love kind of case too, you know. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of, it's interesting as to why and he just, it was his goal to assassination assassins goal to uh kill the most famous person he could which at the time was john lennon but you know it's crazy someone who was just trying to spread love and peace you know what i mean
get that message across is someone who had to die at such an early age. And the fact that that psychopath had no remorse at all is what's crazy is just as you know police were called and they were coming on their way he didn't run at all he just held a copy of catcher in the rye and was just waiting was just waiting for the police didn't run at all but i don't know it just gets my conspiratorial mind going you know immediately think conspiracy because you just think like who wants to who would want to kill someone like that you know Who'd want to kill someone who's spreading peace and love? And, uh, I mean, that could be just a simple thing. Someone just wants to be famous for killing someone famous or just famous for anything. That sounds kind of like a Kardashian move or something. Kim's probably just waiting to, uh, assassinate Kanye at any moment just to be famous for being famous. But see, shoot, if that happens, it's just like blaming Yoko or blaming, uh, Courtney Love again, you know? It's just... So maybe, yeah, I'm not in the right state of mind for that. Or to make a choice on that. Just interesting to think and just really fishy weird. Uh, I don't know, how bad can this book be in order to influence you to do something so heinous? So I don't know, but uh, let's go ahead and just hop right into it. We'll start reading it. We'll just go through chapter one for uh, episode one. And uh, see how freaking horrible this thing is. So it says in the intro, to my mother. And on the next page, the catcher in the rye. Chapter 1. If you really want to hear about it, the first thing you'll probably want to know is where I was born, and what my lousy childhood was like, and how my parents were occupied by all and all before they had me, and all that David Copperfield kind of crap. But I don't feel like going into it. You want to know the truth? In the first place, the stuff that bores me, and in the second place, my parents would have about two hemorrhages apiece if I told anything pretty personal about them. They're quite touchy about anything like that, especially my father. They're nice and all. I'm not saying that, but they're also touchy as hell. Besides, I'm not going to tell you my whole goddamn autobiography or anything. I'll just tell you about this madman stuff that happened to me around last Christmas, just before I got pretty run down, uh, run down, and had to come out here and take it easy. I mean, that's all I told DB about, and he's my brother and all. He's in Hollywood. That isn't too far from this crummy place, and he comes over and visits me practically every weekend. He's going to drive me home when I go home next month, maybe. He just got a Jaguar, one of those little English jobs that can do around 200 miles an hour. Cost him damn near 4,000 bucks. He's got a lot of dough now. He didn't used to. He used to just be a regular writer. When he was home, he wrote the terrific book of short stories, The Secret Goldfish, in case you never heard of him. The best one in it was the secret goldfish. It was about this little kid that wouldn't let anybody look at his goldfish because he'd bought it and his with his own money. It killed me. 
Now he's out in Hollywood, DB, being a prostitute. If there's one thing I hate, it's the movies. Don't even mention them to me. Where I want to start telling is the day I left Pensy Prep. Pensy Prep is this school that's in Agerstown, Pennsylvania. You've probably heard of it. You've probably seen the ads anyway. They advertise in about a thousand magazines, always showing some hotshot guy on a horse jumping over a fence. Like if all you ever did at Pensy was play polo all the time. I never even once saw a horse anywhere near the place. And underneath the guy on the horse's picture, it, says, it always says, Since 1888, we have been molding boys into splendid, clear-thinking young men. Strictly for the birds. They don't do any damn more molding at Pensy than they do at any other school. And I didn't know anybody there that was splendid and clear-thinking at all. Maybe two guys. If that many. And they probably came to Pensy that way. Anyway. It was a Saturday of the football game with Saxon Hall. The game with Saxon Hall was supposed to be a very big deal around Pensy. It was the last game of the year and you were supposed to commit suicide or something if old Pensy didn't win. I remember around 3 o'clock that afternoon I was standing way the hell up top of Thompson Hill. Right next to this crazy cannon that was in the Revolutionary War and all. You could see the whole field from there. And you could see to the two teams bashing each other all over the place. You couldn't see the grandstand too hot, but you could hear them all yelling deep and terrific on the Pensy side, because practically the whole school except me was there, and scrawny and faggy on the Saxon Hall side, because the visiting team hardly ever brought many people with them. There were never many girls at all at the football games. Only seniors were allowed to bring girls with them. It was a terrible school, no matter how you looked at it. I like to be somewhere at least where you can see a few girls around once in a while, even if they're only scratching their arms or blowing their noses or even giggling or something. Old Selma Thurmer, she was the headmaster's daughter, showed up at the games quite often, but she wasn't exactly the type that drove you mad with desire. She was a pretty nice girl, though. I sat next to her once in the bus from Agerstown, and we sort of struck up a conversation. I liked her. She had a big nose and her nails were all bitten down and bleedy looking. And she had on those damn falsies that point all over the place. But you felt sort of sorry for her. What I liked about her, she didn't give you a lot of horse manure about what a great guy her father was. She probably knew what a phony slob he was. The reason I was standing way up on Thompson Hill instead of down at the game was because I'd just got back from New York with the fencing team. I was the goddamn manager of the fencing team very big deal. We'd gone into New York that morning for this fencing meet with McBurney School. Only we didn't have the meet. I left all the foils and equipment and stuff on the goddamn subway. It wasn't all my fault. I had to keep getting up to look at this map so we'd know where to get off. So we got back to Pensy around 2.30 instead of around dinner time. The whole team ostracized me the whole way back on the train. It was pretty funny in a way. The other reason I wasn't down at the game was because I was on my way to say goodbye to the old Spencer, my history teacher. He had the grip and I figured I probably wouldn't see him again until Christmas vacation started. He wrote me this note saying he wanted to see me before I went home. He knew I wasn't coming back to Pensy. 
I forgot to tell you about that. They kicked me out. I wasn't supposed to come back after Christmas vacation, on account of I was flunking four subjects and not applying myself at all. They gave me frequent warning to start applying myself, especially around midterms, when my parents came up for a conference with old Thermer. But I didn't do it, so I got the axe. They give guys the axe quite frequently at Pensy. It has a very good academic rating, Pensy. It really does. Anyway, it was December and all, and it was cold as a witch's teat, especially on top of that stupid hill. I only had on my reversible and no gloves or anything. The week before that, somebody stole my camel's hair coat right out from my room, with my fur-lined gloves right in the pocket and all. Pensy was full of crooks. Quite a few guys came from these very wealthy families, but it was full of crooks anyway. The more expensive a school is, the more crooks it has. I'm not kidding. Anyway, I kept standing next to that crazy cannon looking down at the game and freezing my ass off. Only I wasn't watching the game too much. What I was really hanging around for, I was trying to feel some kind of goodbye. I mean, I've left schools and places I didn't even know I was leaving them. I hate that. I don't care if it's a sad goodbye or a bad goodbye, but when I leave a place, I like to know I'm leaving it. If you don't, you feel even worse. I was lucky. All of a sudden, I thought of something that helped me know I was getting the hell out. I suddenly remembered this time in around October that I and Robert Tickner and Paul Campbell were chucking a football around in front of the academic building. They were nice guys, especially Tickner. It was just before dinner, and it was getting pretty dark out, but we kept chuckling the ball around anyway. It kept getting darker and darker, and we could hardly see the ball anymore. But we didn't want to stop doing what we were doing. Finally, we had to. This teacher that taught biology, Mr. Zambezi, stuck his head out of the window in the academic building and told us to go back to the dorm and get ready for dinner. If I get a chance to remember that kind of stuff... I can get a goodbye when I need one. At least most of the time I can. As soon as I got it, I turned around and started running down the other side of the hill toward old Spencer's house. He didn't live on the campus. He lived on Anthony Wayne Avenue. I ran all the way to the main gate and then I waited a second till I got my breath. I have no wind. If you want to know the truth, I'm quite a heavy smoker. For one thing, that is, I used to be. They made me cut, cut it out. Another thing I grew, six and a half inches last year. That's also how I practically got TB and came out here for all these goddamn checkups and stuff. I'm pretty healthy though. Anyway, as soon as I got my breath back, I ran across Route 204. It was icy as hell and I damn near fell down. I don't even know what I was running for. I guess I just felt like it. After I got across the road, I felt like I was sort of disappearing. It was that kind of a crazy afternoon, terrifically cold, and no sun out or anything, and you felt like you were disappearing every time you crossed a road. Boy, I rang that doorbell fast when I got to old Spencer's house. I was really frozen. My ears were hurting and I could hardly move my fingers at all. Come on, come on, I said out loud, almost. Somebody open the door! Finally, old Miss Spencer opened it. They didn't have a maid or anything, and they always opened the door themselves. They didn't have too much dough. Holden, Miss Spencer said. How lovely to see you. Come in, dear. Are you frozen to death? I think she was glad to see me. 
She liked me. At least I think she did. Boy, did I get in the house fast. How are you, Miss Spencer? I said. How's Mr. Spencer? Let me take your coat, dear, she said. She didn't hear me ask her how Mr. Spencer was. She was sort of deaf. She hung up my coat in the hall closet, and I sort of brushed my hair back with my hand. I wore a crew cut quite frequently, and I never have to comb it much. How have you been, Miss Spencer? I said again, only louder so she'd hear me. Oh, I've been just fine, Holden. She closed the closet door. How have you been? The way she asked me, I knew right away. Old Spencer told her I'd been kicked out. Fine, I said. How's Mr. Spencer? He over his gripe yet? Over it? Holden, he's behaving like a perfect... I don't know what. He's in the room, dear. Go right in. Alright, so that's the end of chapter one of The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. So, from what I've read so far, you know, not sure what to make of it. Obviously, it's first chapter. It's only six pages, five and a half. I don't see no reason to assassinate anybody so far, so that's good. Um, seems the kid is quite like a mix of pessimistic and maybe nostalgic for when he leaves places, or he doesn't like the uncertainty when something's not his choice to have to leave somewhere. I guess when he knows he's leaving, he knows it's on his own terms. Just an odd mixture of the, looking like he kind of hates everybody or has a disdain for popular culture and most things, but he also has a, a kind of sentimental affection for the past. Just come to think of it, though, all that he hates the pop culture, he hates his brother's Jaguar and hates he's in Hollywood. I don't know. So I guess that would kind of, maybe that would convince me to kill a beetle. But I don't think so. I'd like their music too much and I don't know. I could see a connection there. Anyway, hope you enjoyed uh, listening to that. Hopefully it wasn't too boring or anything like that. It's kind of a boring idea to be doing this, but uh, I appreciate any encouragement it gets me to read and get out of my comfort zone of uh, doing the same old shit. So appreciate that. This has been a first episode of Booking It. We'll try and uh, pick this up next week, or maybe in the I'm able to do this a couple times a day because I need to do more reading than that. Five pages a day, that ain't shit. So, anyway, we'll keep uh, going on and keep on keeping on. You know, I kind of miss this, you know, reading without any swiping or anything like that. The book has feel, the book has smell to it. It smells like a mix of cat piss and incense in a good way. Just like an old bookstore. So, anyway, uh,. I dig it. I'm out. This has been Booking It, and I'm Phoenix Swanson.